This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Morning. That was decent. And I don't even feel like that was staged. Most of the time when we get a response, it's because people are like, ah, let's give Corey a response. It'll be funny. Anyways, thank you for that. I appreciate it. We doing all right? Yeah? Fair? Okay. Busy week? Yes? Uh, yeah, I feel, yep, definitely busy week. Lots going on. Uh, lots of moving parts. Um, and so I wanted to, I really felt for myself, and I think for us, uh, we're forgetful people. Um, in case we haven't known, like this text has stayed the same for a few thousand years. Um, that's good. I think if, if God were to introduce new texts to us, we'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm still trying to figure out the first one, right? So it's good for us to go back to the source and remind ourselves what is true and just to anchor into the scripture. Uh, for us as a church, um, we, we believe that everybody's going to claim something is absolute authority and absolute truth, right? It's either going to be our own intellect and logic, what makes sense to us, what we can figure out on our own, which if that's the case, let's be honest, our ceiling is pretty low, um, or we're going to turn to science or, or culture or somebody or something. For us, we believe that these are the words of God, not just words printed on a piece of paper and, and put in a binding, but they're the words of God given by his spirit through human authors, and this is what we're going to base our life off of. This is what we believe to be true from cover to cover, and we're going to ask God to lead us by his word. Uh, and so for us, we're always going to come to the scripture. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today, uh, breaking away from Mark for, for t- uh, just a bit, um, probably today and even next week with Easter. Uh, yeah, next week is Easter. Did that sneak up on anyone else, or is it just us? Because I'm like, how did that happen? Just us? <laughs> just, just you, cool. Um, it's, it's, yeah, next week is Easter. Uh, but today we're going to be in Acts 1, but before we get there, uh, I just wanted to remind myself and us, like, what, what are we doing here? Why are we here? What's our purpose? What is the story that, that we are all living in? Um, for, for many of you, this is not going to be new information, but it's a good reminder. It's a good refresher. Um, for some of you, this may be brand new, um, and, and that's great. I, I hope that, that you hear this and that the Holy Spirit will speak to you um, through this, this information. Um, there was a quote that I heard in a sermon a while back. I feel like if you remember something from a sermon um, much longer than a week, uh, let's be honest, we don't remember sermons much longer than a week. Um, but if we remember something like down the road, God was really using that. Uh, and so there was a quote that I heard from Thomas Aquinas, not from Thomas Aquinas. He, Thomas Aquinas died a few hundred years ago. Um, it, it was his quote. And he said, there is within every soul a thirst for happiness and meaning. There is within every soul a thirst for happiness and meaning. And I remember where I was sitting in this church service and I was like, yes, that is true. Like across the board, every one of us in this room, if you're listening online, every one of your friends, your family members, your neighbors, your coworkers, every person who has lived throughout history has within our soul a desire for, for happiness and meaning and purpose. We want to make what I call, we want to live life to the fullest. We want to make the fullness of life be true for us. That's just, that's just what we want. None of us wake up today and like, man, I really hope today is bad. Like, and if tomorrow can be worse than today, yes, please. No, no, we all want to make the most out of life and live life to the fullest, and we hope that today will be as great as it can be, and tomorrow will be better, and we'll get to the end of our life, and we'll look back, and we go, man, I I lived life as full as I possibly could. That is universal across the board. The, The question then comes down to what do we believe is the fullness of life, Like, what is that life that is going to to be the result that we think is ultimately going to satisfy us, and then how do we get there? Like, that's where the differences come in across humanity. And so um, we, we have here that everybody wants to achieve and reach the fullness of life. And so there we go. Oh, man, let's get, how do we put that on a black screen? Anybody know? Hey, hot dog, there we go, we'll take it. There it is, Claire. We all want to reach the fullness of life. The question is, what's going to give us that? For some of us, it's personal achievement, 
right? Like we've climbed the ranks and we've accomplished all of our goals and like we were four years old and we knew where we were going with life and we charted that course and we, we walked, I just watched the movie King Richard, we watched that last night, great movie and he's like, I had a plan for these girls before they were born, I don't know how accurate that is but some people live that way. It's like, man, this is where life is gonna be had is when we achieve these goals. Other, others, it's finding one's true self, Right, like I just want to discover who I am and my core, and I want to be a free spirit and just figure figure myself out. And then once I get there, I've arrived. Others, it's that soulmate, right? Like I want to find true love. I'm incomplete. You complete me. I'm nobody. Nobody. It's it's a bad movie. It's an old movie. I'm dating myself again. This is a younger crowd. I got to remember this. Okay. Right? We're looking for that soulmate, that person that's just going to do life with us, and ultimately we'll be happy when, I, when, we, when we find that, that family, that soulmate. Pleasure or fun, some of us think of the most pleasure I can have, the most fun I can have, that's the aim of life. Um, money and possessions, if I can just collect more and more and more and more, and once I fill this house up, I'll get a second house and I'll fill it up, and then I can do this and I can do that, right? Uh, others, religion. People use religion, um, spirituality as the ultimate in life. And, and what I, th- I would bet all of us, we've tried some, some of these, if not all of them at some point or another, and I would bet we could also agree they come up lacking. That at some point, these things, they're, they're not going to, to hold weight. In Jeremiah, God says that you're, you're digging cisterns with holes in it. You're trying to fill your life, like you're trying to pour your life into something, and there's holes in the bottom of it. It's just gonna, it's just gonna seep out. And that's what we do in, in these pursuits. None of them ultimately add up. So where then is the fullness of life? What, what it, what's the answer? Right? We, we all want it, what is the answer where you and I are going to grab hold of the fullest life we could possibly live? Psalm 16, says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. David is writing this psalm speaking of God. That God in your presence is the fullness of joy, the complete maximum capacity of joy that you as a human being can possibly gather is found in the presence of God according to the Bible. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. Man, I think a lot of times people are like, oh man, I don't want to go to church. Like it's a bunch of rules, do's and don'ts. What a buzzkill. Well, according to scripture, Like God is for our pleasure and not just like some, but the maximum capacity of it. He's for our joy and it's found in the pleasure of God. Augustine said, you have created us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. If our hearts are chasing after personal achievement or possessions or love or success or pleasure and that's what our hearts are connected to when those things fall which they will our hearts will go with them because our hearts our souls the fullness of who we are is created to be connected to the presence of God and the Bible teaches us that for all of eternity God has existed and God has existed as a triune God Three persons, one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's what you see here is that you got the Father, you got the Son, you got the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches that within God Himself, He is giving and receiving perfect love and perfect communion and perfect joy and perfect happiness and perfect fellowship and perfect humility. The God the Father loves the Son and the Son receives it. God the Father loves the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit receives it. God God the Son loves the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to the Father. There is a perfection of love and joy in God himself. A perfection. Now here's here's the beautiful thing that I've I've told you. I only learned this probably in the last couple of years. God does not need us to be happy. It's not like before the creation of the world, God was just lonely and sad and was like, oh man, what, what am I gonna do to, to make myself happy? I know, I'll create people. 
No, no. God is perfectly content and satisfied and filled with joy in and of himself. He gives and receives love in perfection as the triune God. He doesn't need me and you. And this is good news. Because if God needs me and you, in reality, I'm God, he's not, and I make a lousy God. Like I'm just, it's not gonna go well. But he doesn't need us. So why does God create the world? Why did God create Adam and Eve? Because he is the perfection of love and love is generous and it is outgiving and he wanted to share his perfection with the world. He just simply wanted to give his love to the world around him. And so God created the world and he created Adam and Eve and he created Adam and Eve to join him in that perfect communion of love in his presence. Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve are living out Psalm 1611. They are walking in the fullness of joy in God's presence. Everything is perfect. They are created by God just to join him in that celebration of love. Everything is amazing. This is what we're after. This is the fullness of life in God's presence. But it lasts for all of two chapters in the entire Bible. Genesis 1 and 2. But in Genesis 3, there's a massive shift. When Adam and Eve believe the lie of Satan that they can chase life on their own and they'll be happier without God on their own. And the Bible calls that sin. Anytime we pursue our own way apart from God's way, anytime we trust in ourselves over God, anytime we love ourselves over God, that's called sin. And what that did with Adam and Eve and what that has done for us is it breaks that relationship that we were created to have with God. That is why today you and I are pursuing the fullness of life. We're, we're hungry for more. We're not, I didn't wake up today perfectly satisfied. There's there's a way for today to go better for me and tomorrow to go better because we haven't arrived because something was broken from that original design that Adam and Eve lived in. And what breaks that is that my sin separates me from the presence of God. I choose to go my own way. I choose to live for myself and to love myself more than God. We're created to be in his presence and we follow the lead of our original father and mother and we go our own way and we separate and break that relationship. So then, now what? We're just left to run the rat race and try try but never actually get there? Just to see it slip through our fingers? The, The incredible grace of God is that he created us to be in this relationship with him. We walked away from him in selfish rebellion, and in love, he pursued us. He came to us. Jesus, the Son, in humility, leaves what is rightfully his, which is heaven. Jesus, the Son, has everything in perfection. He doesn't need us. Remember that. He doesn't need anything from us, and yet in humility, he leaves heaven. He humbles himself to come and to live among us. And he lives that perfect life that you and I were supposed to live. The the Genesis 1 and 2 life that Adam and Eve had, that life of perfection and the fullness of joy with God, Jesus lives that for us. He does what we couldn't do. But then, in what we're coming up to in a few days, he humbles himself to the point of death on the cross. No one takes Jesus' life. He's God. He can do whatever he wants at any point. No, No Roman soldiers take his life. He gives his life. Why? Why would Jesus, the Son of God, give his life on the cross? Well, because as sinners, we carry with us a record of debt against God. God expected perfection. My life does not display perfection. I don't know about yours, but I'm gonna go on a limb and say yours doesn't either. That means I've got a record of wrongdoing against God. That's forever gonna keep me separated from him. 
Something has to settle my, my guilt. Just like in the court of law today. If I walk in and it's like, hey, here's your rap sheet. Well, somehow there has to be a punishment for that guilt. The same thing with a holy God. Somehow my guilt has to be punished. And, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. What I earn for my sin is a separation from God, a death. Jesus came and suffered that death for me. He died so that he would take on my punishment. He would take on my record of debt and nail it to the cross and bury it in the tomb. But all of that is for nothing if Jesus is still dead. And yes, I know Easter is next Sunday, but we can still talk about the fact that Jesus is alive today because he's still alive today. He doesn't come alive again next Sunday. He's still alive. Jesus rises from the dead and ascends to heaven. And here's the good news of that. Because Jesus is alive today, that makes it possible for him to offer us his eternal life. If Jesus is still dead, there is no eternal life with God. There is no reconciliation with God. But because Jesus is alive, he's able to offer us this great exchange. He says, hey, hey I'll take your record of debt I'll put it in the grave and it's done and I'll give you my record of righteousness. I'll give you my record of perfection. That way you can stand with God perfectly right. Not because you and I are perfectly right, but because Jesus offers us that exchange. So how do we receive that exchange? How do we receive new life? The Bible tells us that we don't receive this new life by being good people. We don't receive this new life by going to church. We don't receive this new life by, by raising our hand or praying some prayer or doing some actions. We receive this new life from Jesus simply by faith. By faith. Now what is faith? We talk about that a lot here because faith is a tricky word. Faith is belief partnered with repentance. F faith, when I sin, I walk away from God. God's this way and I go my own way. Faith is when I believe the truth about Jesus, that Jesus came and he lived in my place. He died in my place and he rose from the dead in order to give me new life. I believe Jesus to be true, the way, the truth, and the life. And I believe him to be true so much so that I surrender from going my own way and I repent I turn and I trust him. Jesus says to repent and believe. Faith is that belief. I believe him to be true and I go my own way. There are many people who believe Jesus to be true but never trust him. We read one, the rich young ruler. He comes up to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, tell me how to get to heaven. I want to follow you. And Jesus is like, well, you, you trust in me and you surrender. And he's like, but I don't want to let go of my money. I don't want to surrender everything. I don't, I don't want to completely let go of myself and trust in you. And it says that he goes away sorrowful because he didn't have genuine faith. He believed cognitively that Jesus was true, but he didn't trust in Jesus. Faith believes Jesus to be true, and that belief then turns us in repentance to follow the way of Jesus. That's why James says, faith without works is dead. Not that what we do saves us, but that a genuine faith in Jesus, that faith makes us alive and turns us to follow Jesus. So we are saved when we by faith trust in Jesus. So how then are we in the presence of God? If the fullness of joy is in his presence, how, how does all that work? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 says that anyone who is in Christ, anyone who has faith in Jesus, that's what it means to be in Christ. Your faith is in Jesus. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The Bible says that when we trust Christ, we are fundamentally new. We're, we're different than we were before trusting Christ. How so? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit of God comes and indwells us. There is literally something different about who we are. There's the presence of the Spirit of God inside of us when we trust Christ, making us a new creation. 
We're no longer how we were before we trusted Christ. We are now filled with the actual presence of God through his Holy Spirit. That is how Psalm 1611, the fullness of joy is in his presence, can be reality today. Because the presence of God by his Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And so now, by faith, we progressively grow closer and closer and closer and closer to God. And for all of eternity, we will never hit the ceiling of the fullness of life that is found in the presence of God. It will always get better. Which our finite brains cannot even comprehend. But, but that's what it means to be in the presence of an infinitely good God. You never cap out on his goodness. If you do, then, then we've ascended to the heights of God. We become God ourselves. And so for all of eternity, if you've trusted Christ, his promise is to complete that good work. He will lead you into more and more and more and more and more goodness in his presence. But today... We have a, a free will, we have a choice. Am I gonna continue to walk towards him? Or even as a Christian, am I gonna be a knucklehead and be like, I'm gonna go after my own thing for a little bit and delay that growth, delay that progress? If you've trusted Christ, you are made new, but we, by our own sinful choices, can still hinder that growth, rob ourselves of the fullness of life. This is what we're we're here for as a church. Our hope for you is not to make a church. Our hope for you is to help make disciples, followers of Jesus. Our hope for you is to walk with you to know the fullness of joy that is found in his presence. Our hope is not to help you become good church folk, good churchgoers. There were plenty of those in the Bible who actually never knew Jesus. Our hope is that we will be a people in a church who genuinely knows the living God and walks by the power and presence of his spirit in us. Which according to Ephesians is far more abundantly than all we can think and imagine. Which means think to the greatest day you've ever had with the Lord and he's like, come on, we're just getting started. And that doesn't mean life's always going to be easy. L live at all, and you know that. But the incredible news of God's grace is that he will take what the enemy means for evil, and he will actually leverage that for good. He will take the broken parts of our lives, even the sin that we commit, and he will say, hey, hey, we can use that. We can turn this back on the head of the devil and actually use this for good. You can take your sins and humility, you can teach others. And we can use that for good. That's the grace of God that he takes even the dark nights and uses that for a greater good than we would have known without him. The kindness of God is, is unbelievable. That's our hope for you as a church. That is why we are here, is that all people in all places will truly know and love and follow Jesus so that we may know the presence of God in our lives. The fullness of joy is not in possessions or people or even practices of spiritual disciplines. Yes, read your Bible, but that's not the answer. The answer is the God of the Bible that we know by reading the Bible the presence of God, which is available to us by his spirit, that's what we're after. That we be a people that know him. So why is this our heartbeat? Because this is what God has called us to. This is what Jesus has commanded of our lives to be a church and a people that helps one another know God. This is our call as a church and this is your call as a follower of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus give us this command. Just before he ascends to heaven, it says that after he was raised from the dead, he spent 40 days on earth 
appearing to many eyewitnesses. Up to 500 people saw Jesus alive after his resurrection. And he's teaching people about the kingdom of God. And just before he ascends, it says that his, his followers had come together. And in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, he says, but you, he speaks, that's a plural word. He's speaking to the, to the crowd of followers. He's speaking to the 120 first men and women and Christians that will start the church. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So that, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit that, that we get to receive, it hadn't happened yet. That's coming in a few verses in Acts chapter 2. And then it spreads to all people. But he says, you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power that can do all things. The power that is an immeasurably great source. You will receive that power. We are not helpless. We're not, we're not trying to live this life on our own. We're not defeated and overcome by sin. There's not something that we can't overcome anymore. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit of God lives in us. Those fruit of the Spirit, we're not on probation like trying to work our way to be like, man, I sure hope one day that I can receive the fruit of the Spirit of peace. No, it's there for us to be had by the Holy Spirit of God in us. This sin that we can't seem to overcome, well, guess what? The fruit of the Spirit of self-control, it's already there. We're not victims. We're not defeated. The power of the Holy Spirit of God is in us. You will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why do we need his power? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Why did this church need the power of the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus was going back to heaven and he'll come again one day. But between this day when he ascends to heaven and that day when he returns, he is entrusting and leaving his church to be his witnesses, to be his representatives, his ambassadors, the hands and feet of Jesus on earth. We get about 30 years or so, 33 years of Jesus on earth. He teaches us what to say, how to live, how to love, how to think, and then he ascends to heaven and gives us his spirit to continue to do what he did. To, to pick up the, the baton, and now it's our turn to run the race, but we can't do it without his Holy Spirit, so he gives us the power of his Holy Spirit that you and I can continue the mission that Jesus had. And this command, this command to be his witnesses, it's not just for the 120 in Acts 1. It's not just for them. It's for all of us. It's for you and me as well. If, if someone were to come and to want to be a United States citizen, well, you know what? The Constitution of the United States, even though it was written in 1776, still applies today. You don't come in and be like, I'm an American citizen, but I don't care about the Constitution it was written a few hundred years ago. It doesn't apply to me. No, no. You, you want to be an American citizen, then you are identifying under the, the rules of the Constitution even today. And the same thing is true of the commands of Jesus. Once we trust Christ, it's not like we say, oh, well, his commands were a few thousand years ago. They don't apply to me today. Nope. When we trust Christ, we are coming under the authority of his commands. The commands that he gives here in Acts 1 apply to anyone and everyone at any time of life who submits themselves under the rule and lordship of Jesus Christ. And so this command here in Acts 1.8 is not just for the 120, it is for all of us as well. If you want to follow Jesus, this is not optional. You are to be his witness, his representative, his hands, his feet, his mouth to the ends of the earth, to your neighbor and to your coworkers and to your brother and to your mom and to your children and to the nations. That's, that's why we're here because Jesus, our King, has commanded us to. Because Jesus has told us to. 
and praise God that these people were faithful because if you didn't, if we didn't know, we are the ends of the earth. We are not Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria. Praise God that there were some who obeyed the commands of Jesus to go to the ends of the earth because that's me. If there wasn't obedience to this command, you and I don't know the name of Jesus. And if there's not obedience to this command, there's people in our lives that God has entrusted to us that may not know the hope and love of Jesus. This is why we're here, because Jesus has commanded us to. Now, let's keep going just a little bit, because I, I, I love this part of Acts. In case we're thinking like, oh, well, that's, that's for you, Corey. You're, you're a pastor, right? That's what you're supposed to do. That's your job. Or that's for, you know, Peter or, or James, right? I love Acts chapter 8, verse 1. So we'll go Acts 1, 8 to Acts 8, 1. See, see that? It's a palindrome. Right, Michaela? Isn't that what you said? That's a word. Can you do that with numbers? Okay, cool. 1, 8 to 8, 1. All right, turn the pages over a little bit. So we're, we're picking up at the back end of when Stephen was killed for his faith. He wouldn't refuse Jesus, and so those who did not like Jesus hated those who followed Jesus. They pick up some rocks, start throwing them at Stephen. It says, and Saul approved of the execution. Saul is who we will know in a few chapters as Paul, right? Most of the New Testament is written by the man who approved of the execution of Stephen. The grace of God is remarkable. If you think you're too far, if Saul can make it, so can we. Saul approves of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. That's where the church begins, in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, right? They're obeying the commands of Jesus, not necessarily how they would pick to obey it, but how God is ordaining it. There's a persecution. People are getting killed. We gotta leave. So they go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. Well, who goes? Who goes and takes the name of Jesus to Judea and Samaria except the apostles? The professionals stay in Jerusalem. Who goes to Judea and Samaria? I don't know. We don't know their names. Just faithful men and women who are like, well, we gotta move somewhere, and they move to Judea, and they're like, what do we do here? Well, we get a job, but we tell these people about Jesus, because that's what Christians do. That's what Jesus told us to do. We tell them about Jesus. And so they start telling people in Judea and Samaria about Jesus, not the professionals, everyday, average Joes and Jane's, what's the female of Joe, average Joe? Jane, let's go with Jane. They just, they just, they move and they take Jesus with them because that's, it's the understood expectation of Jesus for Christians. Well, yeah, you're a Christian. You, you, you then tell people, you're my witnesses. That's what you do. You witness of me. You tell people about the hope in life that is found in Jesus. I love that it's, it's the, the fulfillment of that command is built on the shoulders of everyday average people me and you well, what about the ends of the earth I'm glad you asked this is one of my favorite stories as well right so we got Judea and Samaria now let's move over to Acts 11 I can't keep up the palindrome um, we're just going to go to 11 verse 19 Acts 11 verse 19 so the church starts in Jerusalem and then it moves to Judea and Samaria and now it's going to the ends of the earth and one of the most famous churches throughout all of Christendom is the church at Antioch so much happens out of that church. Well, how did that church get started? What happened there? Glad you asked. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, right, so we're talking about the same people of Acts 8, 1. Right, you picking that up? Same people. Those who were scattered traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Right, that's what they thought they were supposed to do, only communicate to Jews. But, praise God, because I'm not a Jew and most of us aren't, right? Praise God that the gospel goes beyond that. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. I, I love, it doesn't even name them. 
just some of them, just some of those people that were moving because they had to end up in Antioch, and they tell people about Jesus too, and God's like, hey, let's have a church here. Like, I just love the simplicity that, man, we just, we're just called to go out and be his witnesses and let God build his church. And it's just some of them, unnamed, everyday men and women who are like, well, I'm moving to Antioch, I guess I'll tell people about Jesus there. Moving to Pflugerville, I guess I'll tell people about Jesus in Pflugerville. Right, it's just, that's what we're called to do. Wherever God places you, we're just called to be his witnesses. Each one of us. It's not an option. It's, it's really the expectation of Jesus. Like, oh, this is, what, this is what we do. This is the command that God gives us. And, and now it's our turn. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we're surrounded by those who went before us in Acts 1 and 8 and 11, since, since they've gone before us, since we're surrounded by them, let us run our race. Let us now run the race that God has set before you. God has set you on this path. Let us, let us run. Let us throw off every weight and sin which so easily entangles us and weighs us down. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, reminding ourselves, why do I run this race? Because my Jesus has told me to. Let us run the race that is set before us. It's our turn. That's why we're here. That's why you're here, to run the race that Jesus has set before you. And the good news of it is that this is the race of abundant life. God doesn't need me and you to do this. He's perfectly capable. He invites us to do this because this is the path of abundant life for you and for me. And so that's why we're here. That's what we're doing. That's our purpose. That's our hope. That's it. And my hope is that if you haven't trusted in Jesus, that you hear this not as like, oh, that's for someone else, but this is an invitation for you. Saul, he was a full-grown adult, spent some of his days killing Christians, arresting men and women, separating families, right? And then he sees Jesus and he's like, that's who I'm following. So if you haven't trusted Christ, that invitation is here for you today. There's no obstacle too big. You can't out-sin the grace of God. His grace is more than sufficient for your sin. He invites us in. And if you have trusted Jesus, which I suspect most of us have, okay, it's our turn to run the race that Christ has set before us. In Austin or, or in Dallas or wherever you are, God has put you on a path and invited you to run the race and be his witnesses to whomever he places around you for his glory and for your good. And he's given you the power of his Holy Spirit to do that. We have everything we need. So this is our call. This is our task. And this is our, will continue to be our heartbeat even as we take these next steps and transitions in the life of our church. I wanted to take the last few minutes and just update everyone, make sure everyone knows where God is calling us as, as a church. God's bringing some changes for us um, and we've sensed this for a bit and God's just beginning to make some clarity. I know for some of you, you're, you're new and so this will be like, oh, cool, good to know, right? And, and some of you, this will be, be like, I don't like this. I, I, I get it. It's not been an easy decision for us, but we trust and believe that this is what God has for us moving forward. To start, just to start at the, at the conclusion and the work our way backwards, we believe God leading Austin Life to relocate and transition northward. So, somewhere between the North Austin and Georgetown area. I realize that's a big space of land. We just don't know exactly where. But somewhere between North Austin and Georgetown. And for our staff to shift to a bivocational ministry, meaning we will be employed with Austin Life at a more narrowed and slimmer role while we pick up a second job. 
that will allow us to also bring an income, but also work among those who don't know Jesus and to put ourselves in those environments. For our family, we are making plans to, to move to Georgetown and to open a coffee shop and brewery. So if you have experience in that, we need help. Um, but that's, that's, that's our, so that's the reason between North Austin and Georgetown. So, so why these changes? I wanted to give reason to that. It's been a tough, a tough decision. We've prayed about it. Um, we, we've gone back and forth. We've, we, we've asked God. We've sensed God was doing something in our hearts. Why these changes? And I'll, I'll go through this quickly, and then I would love to make sure that you get a copy of all of this in written form. Um, if, you, if I don't have, we'll figure out how to do that in a second. Why these changes? Let me just say this. It's not because Austin Life has failed. I mean, just look around you. Like, God is doing amazing things here. There are lives that have been transformed by, by this community. The number of times I've heard people say, if it wasn't for the people of this church, and I love that because that means it's not about me. If it wasn't for the, the community and life and family that has been built in this church, like, I don't, I don't know where I'd be. God, God has transformed lives. There is a, this is the church. This, this is the church. It hasn't failed. It's, it's doing, it, look at it. This is the church. It's just that God is shifting and, and, and moving us in a different direction. So let me make sure to reiterate that. Stephanie asked me, if we had all the money in the world that we needed, would you still do this? And I was like, yes. I believe this is, this, this is right. So, so why? There's a few reasons from a church perspective and then some just personally for, for us and other staff as well. From a church perspective, you do have the, the budget Every month right now, we're, we're operating at, at a negative. We're pulling from internal giving, which is our church, external giving, which is just supporters outside of Austin and Austin Life, and then now we're, we're pulling from our savings. And, and so we could run this route for a little while longer, but eventually if nothing changes, we're just gonna run out of money, and, and it's not about money anyways. Like, that, that, that can't be the focus, and yet over the last few months, it's become a greater and greater focus purely out of the way that it's designed and set up. And so that's part of the reason is that something has to change in, in how we're set up in order for the budget to not be the weight and burden that it is. So by our staff shifting to bivocationally, the Austin Life budget goes like this, real quick. Because the bulk of, of what costs right now is, is personnel, like helping our staff survive. Well, that immediately decreases. And then when it comes to the building, we're, we're looking for a space that, that God will open up. We, we would make this transition anyways, but we're looking for a space, and potentially, if God wants us to, we could meet in our coffee shop brewery at one point, and then we have free. We don't have a cost for any building. So then the, the second biggest chunk of a church's budget goes, Phew. and so almost immediately, the weight and burden of, oh man, if we don't have enough money, is off the table. It, it's removed then we can just be the church and not have to worry about, gosh, well, we really need more people to come, and if they could stay, if they could tithe, that would be great. And then someone's like, I think God's moving us on. No, he's not. He's not moving you on because you have to stay here and tithe or we're gonna die, right? Like, <laughs> it's just the focus of the church can't be the budget. And that's what it's become. And so this change immediately eliminates that, and we can just pastor and minister and love each other and not have to worry about that. Another reason for this shift is stability within the church. If you're from Austin or you live in Austin, I know some of you aren't, right? Austin is a high turnover city. Pe people aren't in Austin for long. The, we, we've asked around, the vast majority of, of this church does not have four plus year plans here in Austin, right? Most are thinking like, oh, I'm gonna graduate and move on, or I'm going to get married and have a family. I'm not raising them in Austin, right? Like most people are thinking beyond Austin in the not so distant future, which is fine, but we do need a stable core, stable foundation in order to support that rhythm of high turnover, right? So moving a little further out puts us in a greater demographic of people who are like, no, we're staying here. We're staying put. We're not necessarily looking to move anywhere soon while still giving us a reach into Austin as well. So that's another one of the reasons. Uh, a third reason is disciple-making. There's a lot of great things happening in this church, and, and I, believe, I believe that most of you would agree with that. One of the areas that we struggle is in reaching the lost, is in personal disciple-making. 
right? And so what this will do is this will put our staff in a job context where we are also working with those that don't know Jesus, and we're also getting to make disciples with our coworkers just like everybody else. It allow us to lead, as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, right? It, it, it makes that more uniform. It, it will also allow us the freedom to walk with people for the long haul because we're not going anywhere. And we don't have to, we're like, are we gonna make it next year? I don't know, right? No, no we're good, we're gonna be here. And, and if you've had conversations with people in Austin, it takes people years to even be comfortable with the conversation. Well, now I'm not worried about going anywhere, man. We can run this route for 10 years. I just wanna walk with you and know you and hope that you know Jesus. I can just ask what's best for you, not how do I get more tied so we can make it. Right, so that's another reason. Then it shifts to just our family, right? For our own family, um, we sold our house in Keller in 2016 and just haven't felt settled since. You know, we, we moved to a rental house in Keller, then we moved to a rental house there, then the owners moved in, so we had to move, so we moved into another house, and the owners had to sell because they couldn't keep up with the property taxes, so we had to move, right? So there's just been a lot of moving, and moving is a beating. It is hard, especially when you have four kids who are like unpacking as you're packing. And wait, wait, time out, no, you, what are you doing? You know, we're like trying to throw stuff out and they're coming behind us, pulling it back out. We're like, no, you can't do that, right? So it's just tough, but then also it's been hard for our kids as we're like, well, what schools are we going to next year? Are we gonna have to transfer in? Will we get in, right? Are there gonna, is there gonna be space for us, right? So for our own kids who just brought up this instability that when we think long-term ministry, there's got to be some stability even for our own family. Um, or, or quite candidly, I just don't know that we would make it. We, we would just we'd burn out. A another reason personally is just a personal desire. I miss working among those who don't know Jesus. I love that context. I love the context personally of a food and beverage industry. I know most people don't. I waited tables and I loved it. Um, I've been trying to get Stephanie to open something up with me forever. And she's like, no, no, no. And then now I'm like, now we're down. Here we go. Um, and so I'm just, there's a personal desire that, that really I feel like for us, we could thrive in, in both contexts. Um, and then lastly, I just have a personal conviction um, even of how churches personal conviction. Let me emphasize that. I can't say biblically it's, it's sin or wrong, but personally, churches are started in many ways like a business. Here's your startup funding. You, you either make it before the money runs out or you don't. Um, and that puts such an emphasis and pressure on really hustle and grind in order to make it. People become a means to an end. For our survival, we need people here. We're no longer asking purely the question, what's best for you? There's that divided tension of what's best for you, plus we really need you here in tithing. And, and personally, I hate it. Like I just, it's, it's not who I am. And, and, and in our staff, it's not who we are. We're, we're way too personal. And, and that's been such a divide for us. And we, we've hated that. And so there's just that personal conviction of, is this even the best way to plant churches, especially in a post-Christian context? Because it takes time. And it takes long-term investment in people's lives. And when your runway is this long, you just run out of time real quick. And so we're just having that own personal conviction. And again, this removes that pressure um, where assuming internal giving stays close to what it is, which from what we've heard back from most people looks like it will, then we're almost self-sustaining immediately. It, it, it takes that pressure away and we can just be the church and not have to do the business of starting the church if that makes sense and so that's that's why um so where or what's it going to look like by and large the church will look the same listen jesus started this church thing not us right so we're still going to gather on sundays and worship we're still going to have community group and discipleship group and serve one another in the city and and make disciples around us and four of those five things make no difference where we gather on Sundays. Not one bit at all. Most of us, the, the church is not here. It's, it's the people we're in community group with and discipleship group with and that we share life with. That, that's, how, that's what the church is. So the biggest change is gonna be where we meet on Sundays. So you're asking now, okay, where are we meeting on Sundays? And my answer is, I don't know. I'm hoping you know. But seriously, I don't know. I'm hoping you know. Um, we don't know yet exactly. So 
we're, we're here and we can be here really probably as long as we want, um, but, but we're looking to make this transition sometime in the summer. Um, and, and so we would love your input. If you know of ideas or options or, or you have a, a brother or an uncle who owns a business that's like, hey, our huge conference room sits empty on Sunday. Here's a key, right? Like, call me up. Um, but we're looking and we're, we trust that God's gonna open up that space for us. He has throughout history. He'll do it again. It's gonna be fine. And so it's just learning, all right, God, where are you placing us together on Sundays? Um, so again, that'll happen sometime this summer. Don't know exactly where, but we would love your help. Um, because I drove around the other day and I was like, this is a needle in a haystack. I don't even know what I'm doing. Literally started going into businesses and they're like, what are you doing here, man? Um, I was like, I'm just checking out your space. It's kind of creepy, but it's fine. Turn around and walk out. I was like, no, there's too many, there's too many fixtures. We can't do this, right? So it was a little creepy and I was like, this is weird. Um, but anyways, yeah, so that's, that's the plan. Um, we are 1,000% convinced that God has so much more in store for this church and his people. It's just a little, little pivot, a little relocation, a little, little change for our staff. Um, and our hope is that, that you'll be a part of this with us. But, but what does this mean for you? My, my best guess is you're in one of three places right now. One is, cool, I'm in, let's go. Like, whatever it looks like, we'll figure it out together. We're in. Let's run this route. Let's go. Um, and awesome. Come on. That's, that, the majority, we've heard from the majority, um, that, that that's kind of where, where you're sitting right now. It's like, all right, let's go. Uh, a second category is, I'm in, dot, 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 for now. Let's let some more things settle down, and then we can make a better assessment and decision on what's best for, for us and our family. That's great, too. Again, not, like, there's still a lot of gray so if you, if, unless God's telling you, move on, then I'd encourage you, hey, let's just keep going and see what, what God opens up and then we can make a decision together, right? Um, and the third one, and this is a very real one, it might be God saying, hey, there's something else for you. And, and I can honestly say today, probably easier than I could a week or two ago, blessings. Like if God's got something else for you, then we wanna bless you in that. We wanna send you out for that well um, because that's what's best for you and the people that he's got for you there. And, and, and I feel even a freedom in saying that now than I would have probably two weeks ago. And so um, that's kind of where we imagine everyone is. Um, we want to walk with every one of you as best as we possibly can. Transitions are tough, right? Transitions are, if you take a transition too sharp, you throw people out. And so we want to make this transition as smooth as possible. Uh, and so if if, if, if we haven't communicated at some level, would you please leave a connect card with, or info, or just hand it to me or something? Um, this is my biggest fear is people slipping through the cracks. Um, I, I don't want that to happen. And so please let us know, either fill out a connect card and just say, hey, let's talk more, give me more information. I wanna make sure we're getting everything to you and walking with you along the way. If you need suggestions for churches, great. We know some great ones around here. We want to walk with everybody through this transition as best as we possibly can. So that's what's next for us as a church. But ultimately, it all comes down to Jesus has called us to be his witnesses, to be his ambassadors. And he's written my story and your story, and some of ours will intersect for a bit, and some for the long, long haul. Regardless, we are all his. And he's called us to follow him and to make him known to the world. That is where the fullness of life is found, is in his presence, walking with him, knowing him, following him. That is what we want for you more than anything. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.